0: Welcome to Envision Community Church's Ridiculous Love podcast. Whether you attend our Longmont-based services or tune in online, we're so glad that you're here as part of our funky and fully affirming church today. We begin each of our podcasts just as we begin each of our services with our ethos. Married, divorced, and single here, it's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here, we've all got to give a little here. Big and small here, there's room for us all here. Doubt and believe here, we all can receive here. LGBTQ plus and straight here, there is no hate here. Woman, non-binary and man here, everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. If you'd like to financially contribute to our church and our partners, you can text any amount to 84321. And now on to this week's sermon.
1: Welcome, everyone. Um, it is so lovely to be here with you all. Um, people still coming in, settling in, please just take your time. Welcome. It's so lovely to be with you all. Um, <clears throat> as Heatherland mentioned, my name is Stacy Gerberich, and my pronouns are she and her. Um, I'm so grateful to be here with you all. For those who don't know me, I'm a member here at ECC, and I am also a clinical psychologist. I work at CU Boulder, so a little bit of my background um, for those of you who may be new or don't know me as, as well. So as we start tonight, I want you to reflect, what does conflict feel like for you? When you're in conflict, That word, conflict, can open up so many feelings and sensations. When you're in conflict with another person, what happens in your stomach? How does your breathing shift? Do you feel your muscles tightening or maybe your skin gets damp, your heart rate speeds up? Whatever your body's reaction, it's okay. It's healthy and it's your body's way of giving you information. When we experience conflict in relationship, it lives in our bodies as well. Conflict is uncomfortable, and for some of us, conflict in the past has been downright dangerous. So tonight, I invite you to practice settling in and caring for your nervous system. That includes stretching, yawning, getting a drink, standing, or even pacing in the back if you need, These are all ways we can take care of ourselves and practice presence while tending to physical tension. This evening, we'll be exploring conflict and looking at a story of conflict in the community of the early Jesus movement. This is the story of the Hellenist widows of Acts 6. The story takes place in Jerusalem after Pentecost, and it begins like this. Once upon a time, when the number of disciples was increasing the Hellenist Jews, among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews because the Hellenist widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect preaching and teaching in order to just wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them while we keep praying and ministering the word of God. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, five other men who were also Hellenist Jews, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The end. So admittedly, the story of the Hellenist widows is a very short one. The widows themselves get one line, and not even a full line, that introduces their identities, their voice, and their conflict. Then the author, Luke, a man, goes into detail about the 12 apostles, also men, who invited the community to pick seven other men to solve the problem. If you grew up in church like me, you probably associate this Bible story with the appointment of a new deacon. I remember this story being told as the origin of the tiers of leadership in the church. The apostles are the delegating models for the elders, and the uh, seven, the seven men who were chosen, are the models for the practical deacons. That understanding of this passage totally makes sense if you look at it from a great man history standpoint. We have the names of all these great men, and we know Luke wrote this story, and the book of Acts as models for later Christians to follow. However, tonight, we're going to take a step back from great man history. We're going to gently pull apart the lines, and we're going to listen to the story of the widows, who tell us about conflict and the fight for social equity that continues to today. In the days of the early Jesus movement, the people under the Roman Empire spoke many languages, but the primary language was Greek. The first members of the Jesus movement were from Aramaic-speaking Judea and were known as the Hebraic Jews. The Hellenist Jews were Greek-speaking and most lived in the Jewish diaspora across the empire. The Hellenist widows in this story were Jewish emigrants who had returned to their family's country of origin, but they still lived in the borderlands of identity. They had grown up as religious outsiders living outside of Judea, but the traits of Hellenist culture made them outsiders in Judea, too. The Hellenist widows, being women, didn't have access to formal Jewish education, so they likely didn't speak Aramaic fluently. They were far from their family homes, and their social status, language, and appearance constantly put them at a disadvantage. I imagine that finding belonging among the members of the Jesus movement was a relief from the constant pressure of being an outsider. And I imagine that being overlooked in the daily distribution of food reopened wounds of mistrust that cut deep. You have to understand, being overlooked in the daily distribution of food was not about being served food or about waiting on tables, but about managing the distribution and funds for the community meals. This was a job shared by men and women. So being overlooked for the Office of Managing the Community's Finances and Food Distribution was about being denied the right for equal participation in the community. Inequity? is not what the Jesus movement has ever been about, and the Hellenist widows believed this. So instead of letting themselves be overlooked, letting social inequities go unaddressed quietly, these widows decided to speak up. They decided to lean in to conflict. So take a moment and reflect. What do you think about when you think about conflict? Building on those body sensations we explored earlier, what images come to mind? What metaphors? Professor and mediator, conflict mediator, Claire Canfield collects and researches metaphors for conflict. His theory is that our metaphors for conflict shape the way we approach relationships throughout our lives. His TED Talk begins with a sample of the metaphors he's collected. And I invite you to pay attention and notice how your body physically reacts to these images. A volcano about to erupt. A hurricane. Like slow dancing barefoot on broken shards of glass. Like trying to hold back the ocean with a broom. War. The plague like being drawn and quartered. So my own metaphors for conflict have shaped and been shaped by many life experiences. I grew up in what I would describe as a conflict-avoidant household. Open conflict in my family was a very rare occurrence. When conflict was present, it was often under the surface, and it felt kind of gross to talk about. Neither of my parents grew up in families where conflict ended with people feeling closer or more connected. In fact, the opposite was true. There were, and still are, members of my extended family who haven't spoken in decades because of feelings around conflict. Growing up, my family went to a church where those in power that conflict causes division My nuclear family and I, we spent a lot of time together, we were very close, and it seemed pretty clear to me that keeping the peace by avoiding conflict was the way to stay close as a family. When I felt hurt or misunderstood, I learned to keep it inside in order to keep the peace. My metaphor for conflict? I felt like I was hiking in cold, wet socks. As a teenager, avoiding conflict with my parents felt like that, and you've you've probably been on this hike, where you're on a long hike with cold wet feet and no one else really notices, but you're absolutely miserable. I had strong feelings, I still do, um, but I never told anyone when my feelings conflicted with the state of the world. I didn't speak up and voice frustration or anger or sadness because I was terrified it would destroy the relationship. So I held it in, and I kept feeling miserable. I was 16 years old when my pattern of stuffing my feelings down started having serious consequences. Emotional repression physically manifested in a dangerously slow heart rate that led to a flurry of doctor's appointments. However, I wouldn't even admit my feelings to the cardiologist who asked me if I was depressed after finding no physiological reason for my really slow heart. So all my feelings bottled up and bottled up and bottled up until one day, and I remember this vividly, I was standing in the kitchen with my parents, and my anger and my pain started to pour out of me in a surge of yelling and tears. I told my parents I couldn't pretend to be perfect anymore, I couldn't keep all my feelings inside, and I was so angry that they expected me to do so in a fountain of wisdom and gentleness that I'm grateful for today. (laughs) They responded in a way that soothed my overwrought nervous system and responded with validation and care. My parents, they were shocked, but they were still emotionally present and they told me that all of my feelings were welcome and that no one wanted me to hold them inside. They expressed sorrow that they had unintentionally modeled that we shouldn't talk when things got heated or missed between us, and we committed to doing better with being honest about our feelings moving forward. The end. Just kidding. (laughs) This encounter with my parents was my first experience with the transformational power that can come when conflict is engaged openly, honestly, and vulnerably. It also became a model for what can happen when those in power, in this case my parents, meet conflict with compassion, curiosity, and humility. Compassion, curiosity, and humility can neutralize the power differential that can happen in conflict and they can lead to healing and empowerment of the one who was harmed. In my 16-year-old self, my heart issues resolved completely after our conversation and with the help of some psychiatric medication for depression. But one experience in, in conflict doesn't make a conflict resolution expert. I will never delight in moving towards conflict. It has taken a lot of therapy, years of training, and many more trial and error life experiences to feel generally adequate at doing conflict. And engaging in conflict is always gonna be a risk because the outcomes are never guaranteed. However, through these many experiences, I have come to learn that when engaged wholeheartedly, conflict can lead to knowing myself and others in deep and meaningful ways. Even when conflict ends by creating space and setting firm boundaries. And all these experiences in navigating conflict have given me a new metaphor. This one's a little more enticing than wet socks and empowers me to be an agent of change in my own life. So my new metaphor, conflict is like being in the middle of the dance or a dance when your partner steps on your toes or you step on their toes, but we'll, we'll start with them being the bad dancer first. <laughs> so I imagine it this way. Me and my fellow dancer have been practicing some new steps, we're enjoying the music, jamming out, expressing ourselves, and then my partner steps on my toes and doesn't realize it. So until that point, we're doing okay, right? But the music is loud and the dance floor is cl- crowded, and my toes get stepped on. And now, with aching toes, I have a choice to make. I can grit my teeth, say nothing, and try to brush it off. But what if it happens again? I could scream at my partner, how could you be so stupid? And that would let them know I'm hurt, but it would also hurt them. I might walk off the dance floor, unable to say anything, leaving my partner alone and confused. Any of these reactions are understandable, my toes hurt, and the extent of the damage is going to determine how I take care of them. And while I'm nursing wounded toes, I'm also nursing a wounded relationship. Leaning into conflict, telling them that their dance moves caused injury, is actually the way for both me and my dance partner to become better dancers. So I take a deep breath, I open up a conversation by saying, "Hey." You stepped on my toes and it hurt. And before you think, well, I could tough it out, I wouldn't want to hurt their feelings. I ask you, would you want them to tell you if you had stepped on their toes? Would you want the opportunity to be a better dancer? Most of us would say yes, especially with people we care about. Most of us want to have a positive impact on the world and we want to know if we need to make adjustments to be able to do better. The story of the Hellenist widows shows us that conflict is necessary for reaching our goal of a diverse, equitable, and inclusive community, especially as members of the Jesus movement. The widows were a group of immigrant women on the margins in the city and culture of Jerusalem. Their courage and commitment to say, ouch, to not let hurts go unaddressed, and to stick with conflict through to the end is absolutely an imitation of the ridiculous love almighty God has for each of us and all of us. They show us that if we want to have a rich and vibrant community, if we want to connect across diverse identities and backgrounds, we need to approach conflict with vulnerability, honesty, and openness. We need to help each other become better dance partners, and conflict is a tool that can help us get there. But one successful moment in equitable conflict resolution does not an equitable community make. Creating a new culture does not happen overnight, especially when there are power dynamics that have been at play for millennia. Acts is the story of the birth and growth of the early Jesus movement from Jerusalem across an empire. But let's not forget, it's been read as a testament to great man history for millennia. Later church leaders, like Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, chose to teach the cultural convention that silenced women and minority voices. But great man history has never been at the heart of the Jesus movement. The story of the Hellenist Widows shows us that hard questions, conflict, and striving to live and love without labels has been with our community since the beginning. It's been 2,000 years, and we here continue the labor. We continue breathing and pushing to birth a community that fully embodies the equitable way of Jesus. The Hellenist Widows show us that power dynamics of the way things currently are do not have to restrict our choices in moving towards the way things need to be. They remind us that our choices, our wholehearted courage can shape the dance of conflict and how we dance together in community. But that dance will take time and there will be people who do not care whether or not they are smashing your toes. Continuing to dance with someone who is consciously stepping on your toes with the intent of causing harm, that was the subject of my last sermon and it requires a whole different set of enhanced boundary setting skills. So if that is you, I do encourage you to talk to a trusted friend or a mentor or a therapist to figure out if dancing with that person is necessary, and if it is, being very thoughtful about what boundaries can be put in place to keep you safe. When it is safe to dance in conflict, I have a couple of helpful dance moves for you to practice. These moves are from Professor Claire Canfield's research, and you can remember them through the acronym VOCAB, V-O-C-A-B. Practice V for vulnerability. Take a deep breath and lean into the unknowns. Be willing to let yourself be seen. Practice O for ownership. Take accountability for your own needs your own emotions, and your own choices in that conflict. Practice C for communication. Ask questions, listen compassionately, and express yourself honestly. Practice A for acceptance. Embrace reality and let go of what you cannot control. I am still working on that one daily. And practice B for boundaries. Set ground rules for acceptable behavior, express them clearly, uphold your boundaries yourself, and then walk away if those boundaries are being violated. Practicing vocab, vulnerability, openness, communication, acceptance, and boundaries when we're in conflict with the people that we care about can also help us do better when we're in conflict with the people we don't like very much. Conflict is uncomfortable, but it doesn't have to be unsafe. So take a deep breath. Safety begins with the freedom to take as many breaths as we need. Let's, <clears throat> let's pray. And I offer this prayer based in the meditations of the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh. May we listen to the suffering inside of us and inside of others. May our listening give birth to understanding and compassion. May our understanding and compassion lead to healing and transformation. Amen.
2: Up on me now feel so unsure I'm not usually so damn clumsy comfort when you whisper baby it's good take it slow forgive me. I am listening, trying to trust the flow.
0: As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, and filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. To learn more, go to envisioncommunitychurch.org or facebook.com forward slash church. Thank you for joining us.